That's a sports ball. Sports Com- ball. Coming to you from the Sports Ball Studios. You are now listening to the Small Monster Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Small Market Podcast with your hosts, Watucky and Hoffman. We're coming to you from Sportsball Studios in Midland, Michigan. How are you today, Watucky? Doing fantastic, Hoffman. I am as well. We got kind of a slow week this week. Well, I want to say a slow week, but we're we're uh, going to have the second half of our interview with Mr. John U. Bacon talking about his latest book, Let Them Lead. It's about leading the uh, the... Uh, nation's worst high school hockey team, the Huron River Rats, from from worst to well, essentially first. They're in like the top top one hundred. So yeah. came a long way in like three or four years with that team. Yeah, Pretty amazing. Pretty cool gig. Man has thirteen books to his credit. All kinds of journalism accolades. He's spoken everywhere, and just a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, he's really really down to earth guy. Yeah, but before we get to that, we wanted to talk some uh, some sports. <sighs> Quite a weekend of sports here with Tucky, um, where nobody won. Nobody is a winner. Nobody is a winner. Uh, love to tell you that the Lions won or lost, but that didn't happen. They couldn't even manage to lose this week. I know. It, it, Hoffman, that is, that is so frustrating. <laughs> As someone who watches the Lions every week, at least... You're you're zero and seven, or no? You're zero and eight going into this, right? Exactly. It's like you're not going to go anywhere. You have you have nothing to win for. So let's be the first team to go zero and seventeen. Like I find myself almost rooting for that. And as I'm watching this game, I'm like, they go oh my it, god, and they, they're gonna they're gonna get yeah. a win. And then it's like, oh my god, they're not. They're not even gonna lose. And then with the fumble on the final play, and they recover it with no time left. And the announcer's like, that's the game. It was the most anticlimactic ending to a football game I've ever seen. And quite honestly, in the overtime, there were so many bailout penalties by the Steelers for them. They had an opportunity with a missed field goal. Uh, they had an interception thrown by golf, go- golf, by Goff that was called off because of a penalty on the Steelers. Like, the football gods were like, we're going to give you every reason to win this game. And the Lions were like, no, you are not. <laughs> and so they kind of settled for a tie. And it was, I don't know, I'm spe- it's speechless. Right. Yeah. They, I, I don't they know didn't what to say manage, about it. They didn't even manage to lose correctly. And, right. and the th- yeah, and the thing I see online is everybody's like, well, at least they didn't lose. And I'm thinking to myself, that is the most Lions thing you could say. Exactly. Because they certainly didn't win. That's for sure. Right. Well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit. To, is there anything else in pro football you wanted to talk about, Wataki? Oh, man. No. <laughs> Not really. Yes, I can't. <laughs> I can't. We, yeah. I mean, Stafford's playing tonight, Monday night. That's, oh, yeah, that's right, we'll though. See. I do got him. I got him and Cooper Cup and... I got the Rams kicker on your on fantasy, my fantasy team, team, and I'm down 40 points. I got them, and I got some <laughs> off-the-wall receiver. I can't even pronounce his name from the 49ers. But I got to come back from like 40 points down, but I know I'm going to be able to do it with 
with that combo. See, now I, I know what to counter you with every time you're like, oh, you're nerdery with baseball cards. And it's, yeah, it's I my nerdery like, mm-hmm. with fantasy. Exactly. Same thing. Exact same thing. So, yeah. Other than that, it's been a sloppy kind of two weeks in NFL football. It has been a really yeah. awful last two weeks. Yeah. So, if you don't have anything else to talk about for NFL football, I'd like to move on to something even more ridiculous. Give me all the ridiculous, Hoffman. Major League Baseball's Awards Week. Oh, why what? it's going on now, I have no idea. Are we going to use the COVID excuse? It seems like we can use that excuse for everything nowadays. Well, that's no is that... horses there, Trump. Oh, Let's okay. not get so okay. political. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah, kidding. No. It's. Uh, it seems to me like last year was it was earlier. It was during the break between... Um, uh, between the playoffs and the World Series, but I could be wrong. Maybe it was, or maybe it was just a week after the World Series ended. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I don't know. It, at this point, I feel like, well, who cares about the, you know, the awards? The, yeah, the awards in the twenty twenty one season. It's over. It's dead and gone. And we know who the winners are, right? So if you had to guess, who would you who would you say for American League MVP? Well, I would say Otani. That would make sense, right? I just said, like, he's a standalone. Yeah, for the American League. Yeah. So, and I'm not going to make you guess all the other categories or anything like that. That would be silly. But everybody would, okay, hands down, Otani, AL MVP. There you go. So I'm looking through the the finalists for for everybody else. On Monday, though, they'd be announcing the National League and American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, for the NL, it would be Dylan Carlson, Jonathan India, and Trevor Rogers. For the American League, Randy Rosarena. I don't know how he's Again. still a rookie. Yeah, <laughs> to, the only man to ever win two-time Rookie of the Year, Randy Rosarena. Hey, when you're good, you're good. All right. <laughs> Wander Franco and Luis Garcia from the Astros. So uh, all those guys certainly worthy. I think Dylan Carlson's a hands-down uh, NL uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, that'd be my pick. And for the American League, I'd probably say Wander Franco. And then we've got NL Manager of the Year and American League Manager of the Year on Tuesday. Finalists for National League are Craig Council from the Brewers, Gabe Kapler from the Giants, and Mike Schilt from the Cardinals. Um, who would you pick out of that crew, Wataki? Oh, probably Schultz. Schultz, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I would probably pick Kapler, just because I've met Kapler. Oh, yeah. I forget, Hoffman. you got to go I, off of what your collectibles exactly, are. Exactly, and I have his rookie card. Yeah, so, yeah you probably got it autographed, yeah. too, I bet, huh? Uh, I don't, but no. But, uh, you oh, know, maybe I should send that to him. That, that'd be <laughs> cool. That's a good idea. I should look for one. Um, for American League Manager of the <laughs> so Year, I just gotta give you a little. You got it right because I gave you crap about the fantasy thing, yeah. the fantasy nerdery. American League Manager of the Year, also on Tuesday, Dusty Baker from the Strohs, Kevin Cash from the Rays, and Scott Cervais from the Mariners. Um, I just like like Dusty Baker. Dusty, I'd say Baker. Dusty Baker, he's a legend. You know? Yeah, it, well, his team. He managed him to the World Series. Hey, yeah, exactly. Come on now. What, do you, what more do you want out of your manager? Right. What are we doing here? Well, and this is the argument we made earlier, is that why aren't the MVPs and the, you know, it's like saying, okay, the team of the year, <laughs> the team of the year is who? 
who won the World Series? The Atlanta Braves. So that's the team of the year. So who's the best player on the best team of the year? On the team, arguably Freddie Freeman. Right. Arguably Freddie Freeman. So He's wouldn't the, he be the most valuable player? Because he won the last game of the season. So yeah, I would say Freddie Freeman. No, no. Juan Soto is your MVP because he led a team to a dismal losing record. We're getting to that, but I'm that's sorry. not I'm sorry, until. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead of you. Wataki, that's not until Thursday. I'm going MVP. off script, Hoffman. You're going off script. We haven't even gotten to Wednesday yet because this is the pace of baseball. Yeah. Slow as hell. Nice and slow. <laughs> that's right. We haven't even gotten to Wednesday yet. Wednesday is when we uh, we announce our na- National League and American League Cy Young Award winners. Ooh. National League Cy Young Award winners, Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, Zach Wheeler. Corbin Burns from the Brewers. Uh, Scherzer is from the Dodgers, of course, and Wheeler is from the Phillies. Um, yeah, it's, all three of those guys are, are worthy. Yeah. You know, like you, Take your pick. I'd like to see Mad Max just because he's former Tiger. You know what I yeah. mean? And I just I, I like what he does. Him. But I'd like to see uh, Corbin Burns just because he's he's a young dude. And um, yeah, I mean, give the Brewers something to hang their hats on. Yeah, exactly. A small market team. Yeah, a small yeah, market. Yeah. You know, as far as American League Cy Young Award, we're still on Wednesday with Tucky. Still Wednesday? <laughs> it's still Wednesday. It's not even still, after lunch yet on still Wednesday. Wednesday. No, not even after lunch yet. Still Wednesday, American League Cy Young. Going at just a glacial pace. <laughs> That's Garrett Cole from the Yankees. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Landslidden from the White Sox. And Robbie Ray from the Blue Jays. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I just give Garrett Cole. The, yeah, just, I yeah. guess that. I guess yeah. That's you know. That's, I don't know. I'd rather see Lance Lynn from the White Sox closer to home. You know, yeah, or Robbie Ray. So. Robbie Ray had a pretty good. He, he had a great season. So I don't know. After the choke job by Cole, well, yeah. it's just like a yeah, true. Leaves a bad taste in your mouth for the final outing. Yep. Yep. Exactly. We haven't gotten to Thursday yet. What 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 are we at dinner time? Wednesday we are. Or? Let's see. <laughs> we take, Afternoon nap. Like this is like we take another week off. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we take another week off to finally announce our uh, National League and American League MVPs for the National League, and this is where it gets dicey and contentious. National League MVP Bryce Harper from the Phillies, Juan Soto from the. Let me grab the record again from the uh, 65 and 97 Nationals and Fernando Tatis from the 79 and 83 Padres. The Bryce Harper's Phillies with an 82 and 80 record were the only ones with a winning season out of that bunch of three guys. Um, You're basically just grabbing three names. That's three big names out of the National League. That's you couldn't pick. Is. You couldn't pick three better names out of the National League. You couldn't put Freddie Freeman in there. Well, is he American? He's National League. He's a Braves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. I'm sorry. Like, like you can't even. Even if you're not gonna pick him, you can't put his name in there, so it gives some credibility to your list. Like I get it. I get it. These guys all have good stats, but they're all stats on losing teams. So is this the most valuable player, or is this, is this the, or is this yeah. the MSP, the most statistical player? Yep. Exactly. Like, what are we giving awards out here for? Like, I get, and, and you know, I guess that's where 
baseball is all about statistics. It's all about numbers. Yeah. And so baseball fans like to see numbers, like the purists. So that's how they judge everything by numbers. And you can quantify things with a number. You know what I mean? It makes it feel more factual instead of, okay, this guy was the best player on this team. He has the best numbers. It may not add up or compare to a Fernando Tatis necessarily. He might not be leading in every category or a bunch of the major categories, but what he does for his team is more valuable. And it shows by them winning a championship, by them winning a World Series, but you can't you can't quantify that on paper. Right. And Tatis was injured half the season, wasn't he? He was, yeah. So, he I was mean, injured part of the season. You know, yeah. And yeah, he's exciting to watch and fun and you root for him, but man, I I, and I wanted him to have a good season as any, and he had a great first half, but didn't finish the season. So what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Like you know? these, none of these teams made the playoffs, right? And Bryce, Juan Soto, I want to root for him just as I root for him, and I'm not. I have no stake with the Nationals, you know, but they were abysmal this year. Yeah, and Juan Soto is a MVP finalist. I mean, I don't know. I I, just, I guess we're and this is without us delving into stats, but then you could make a case for the best player on the Tigers. Right? Yeah, you could, and that's I don't it's, know. I, I don't know. That, that's I think silly. that's disrespectful. If you're a Braves fan, I, th- I think you should be disrespected. Uh, yeah, uh, agree. Or you should feel disrespected. Or you should feel disrespected. Yeah. Then in the American League... <laughs> Did I just um, say you should be disrespected? You should be disrespected. <laughs> you should be disrespected. You should be disrespected. We're disrespecting That's on this show tonight. Kevin A. Smith. We are disrespectful. Yeah. Man, what are we doing? In the American Sorry. League, we have uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from the Blue Jays. Shohei Otani, who, as we said before, yeah, just give him the MVP. And Marcus Simeon from the Blue Jays. Um, yeah. So... I'd like to see both Vlad and Shohei get the. That's what you should. Yeah, you should say there's really not a worthy candidate in the NL. Uh, so we're just going to give it to Vlad, <laughs> or what we or should Shohei because he's a have, pitcher. That have Shohei yeah. uh, switch leagues because yeah. he can switch between pitching and batting. He's so malleable. Let him just be in the NL for for Thursday night, and he gets the NL MVP. And Vlad like gets the AL MVP. Those are two worthy candidates. Two guys who fought hard all season yeah. and were fantastic. Right? Yeah. That's that's exactly that's what they fair. should do. It's a little off script, but yeah. Right. Exactly. I, at the very least, if Major League Baseball wants to get this right, what they should do is it's just have... not announce an NL MVP. <laughs> that or just for the American League MVP, both Vlad and Otani should, should tie. Should be co- co-MVPs for the American League. That would be cool, but I don't know. Might, I, that would, that would put the media it. in such an uproar. Yeah, People would course. go crazy. Pure, baseball purists' heads would start exploding. But, I mean, hey, you you go seasons without... Uh, you go years without electing people to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Why not go a year without, electi- without yeah. uh, selecting a, an MVP? Know. Yeah. I don't know. Makes sense Joe to me. Joe Buck's crying in his cereal. Every baseball writer in America is crying in their cereal right yeah. now. Jason Wirtz is probably at home listening 
screaming at his wife's trying to talk him off the right. top of Dow Diamond's row. <laughs> exactly. Screaming at his radio like, why? <laughs> what are we talking Hoffman talking about? Yeah, he's yeah, just, if he listens to this, he's gonna be angry. Just bring on John U. Bacon already. I didn't realize know? hate mail, our first piece of hate mail was gonna come from a contributor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wanted to get to one more thing before we got to uh yeah. John U. Bacon though. Um explain to me, Wataki, what is going on in college football. Oh, college football. The Big Ten East. I'm going to give you a rundown because really the only thing that matters from where we're at is the Big Ten East, Hoffman. And right now that's like there's a logjam at the top between Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan. And Ohio State and Michigan State, they control their destiny. Michigan needs a little bit of help. But basically in the next two weeks, those teams all play each other. It's like a round robin. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in this week, it's a top 10 matchup between Ohio State and Michigan State. And if Michigan State wins, they got Penn State, who's been abysmal this season, next week. And then they're basically into the into the championship, the Big Ten championship. And at that point, if Kenneth Walker III has a big game, I got to think that he's your front runner for Heisman. Absolutely. I mean, I mean yeah. he had almost 200 yards, five touchdowns in their big game against Michigan. Yep. And everybody was like, wow, he's got to be the odds-on favorite. Well, if you come out there and you put on a performance in Ohio at the shoe like and that. put it on Ohio State like that, yeah, who are you going to pick over him? Yeah, I can't exactly. think of a name to pick over him. I can't think of anybody with the statistics even close. And usually there's there's stronger candidates, but like yeah, he's just he's running away with it. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Hope, I hope that that's... That, that is the case, and it's just it's as obvious to you know Heisman voters as it is to everybody, as it is to fans here in the state in of Michigan, Michigan. You know, in, in something that probably doesn't get as much talk as it should. At that point, I think Mel Tucker becomes your coach of the year. You take yeah. a team that only had two wins last year to being a lot. Of, well, if they win out, they'll be eleven and one, and they'll yeah. be playing for a Big Ten championship. How do you not make him coach of the year? Exactly, that's like a yeah. worst to first thing. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and if you're Michigan, you got to handle business against Maryland this week. And then if you do, and Ohio State ends up winning against MSU, then it's just like the old days. Back in the glory days, it's Ooh. Michigan versus Michigan State, winner take all, winner wins the East, and goes on to the Big Ten championship game. So Michigan's still got a lot to play for, even after that upsetting loss in East Lansing. Yeah. So the next two weeks, if you're a college football fan, you're loving it. Because this log jam is going to break up and it's going to be it's going to be crazy. Heck yeah, totally so. agreed. All right, well that's that is the first half of our show. Stick around, uh, and we will um, we will be talking to Mr. John U. Bacon. We kind of teased him at the beginning of the program. Um, this is the second half of our interview with uh, Mr. Bacon. Um, if you want to watch the watch or listen to the interview in its entirety. The entire video, Wataki's got the entire video uploaded to our YouTube channel. And you can find the YouTube channel by going to our link tree. You'll see that in our Instagram. Uh, if you find any one of these things, they're all they're all linked together. Yeah. Um, first, I want to shout out to, to Curveball Collectibles. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being that. our sponsor. Uh, their new location is amazing. Can't wait to have a trade night or pack wars out there. Mm-hmm. It's going to be awesome. So ton of space for it. Yep. And uh, here is our interview with, with Mr. Bacon. John, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the book Three and Out. That is probably one of my favorite books that I've ever read, simply because of the fact... Thank you, Hoffman, with the props there. No problem. 
simply because of the fact that well, I, I lived through everything that was there. I'm, I'm, you see the hat. I'm obviously a huge Michigan fan. And I can remember sitting there at a family Christmas when they hired Rich Rodriguez. And I told my cousin, I said, this guy's a snake in the grass. I don't like him. He, the way he left West Virginia. And I, nev- I never liked him. And so then for Christmas, I got this book, Three and Out, you know, a few years after the whole, after he had moved on and stuff. Right. And I read that book and I couldn't help but being like, I was one of those uh, a-holes. I was one of those guys that never gave this man a chance. And it and your whole view of Lloyd Carr changes in that book and everything. While this is, and you followed him in real time to gather stuff for this information and stuff for this book. What was that like? Were you... As, as time goes on, were you starting to see the writing on the wall for him that he just wasn't getting a fair shake necessarily? Um, yeah, it was It was almost, to use the now, you know, tired cliche, the perfect storm. Uh, he made mistakes, certainly, on and off the field. Uh, Michigan made mistakes on and off the field. The media, the fan base, it was, it, was a, it was three years where not much was going right on almost any of those fronts, it seemed to me. Um, in your defense, if I had not been on the inside, I would probably have had the exact same view that you and most of the fans had. Uh, he was not good at public relations. He was not good at media relations. Um, the media is not always fair to him either, in my opinion. Um, but uh, what it was like on the inside, therefore, is I've seen I had a split screen like you have now. But right. I had the I had the public rich rod and I had the private rich rod and. They were almost unrelated, and it's not like the public retrograde was false. He did say those things, and it was on TV and this and that. But when I'd be at a post-game press conference, he'd be doing very well, I thought, at the press conference for 10 or 15 minutes. And then they'd get asked some question, and he'd you know dive back into something he probably shouldn't have said. And I knew the second he said it, you know whether it's you know blaming the previous year or you know whatever else, uh, the second he said it, I knew that's going to be the sound bite that appears on TV tonight, and nothing else. And that's exactly what happened, of course. And so also the PR aspect about the buyout from West Virginia, which got complicated naturally, yep. and he had a gag order basically. While West Virginia, Joe Manchin, governor of West Virginia <laughs> at the time, who seems to be in the news quite a bit these days, yeah, um, on a political front, um, he was just beating the hell out of him publicly because Rich had his hands tied behind his back. So there's that aspect, and then there's the team aspect. I came away such an admirer of the players on those teams. Uh, it's kind of like the soldiers in Vietnam. If you don't like the mission or General Westmoreland, okay, fine. You know, I get it. But don't take it out on the soldiers. And that's how I felt about these guys, basically. If you didn't agree with the decisions being made at the top, don't take it out on David Molk or Mike Martin or Denard Robinson. These guys are giving their all. And they never stopped believing. Jeremy Chulo uh, did a great job of this at his banquet speech. And he's a, you know, a walk-on player and all that, but uh, he said we were always Michigan men. So the contrast between what I was seeing publicly and what I was seeing privately was, as I joke about that book, it wasn't easy to watch, it wasn't easy to write, and it's probably not easy to read. Uh, but it's not boring, that's no. for sure. And and the drama that takes place, I still get letters about that book to this day, um, emails. But, uh, it's pretty amazing. I believe it. Yeah, that was that is an amazing book. It's just an amazing story to get to get the inside view of stuff. Um, yeah, it, go, I hate to go back. Well, back and forth, but back to your uh, your first book, or well, the first book we talked about, "Let Them Lead." 
you state there that if a losing streak goes on too long, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, that you're not just fighting the other team, you're fighting history. If I take that to present day with Michigan and Ohio State, and this, is, this has been going on even before Jim Harbaugh, I hear that line in that book, and I think to myself, that's what's going on right now. They're fighting history. This is more of not so much you don't have the same talent as them or the same coaching. It's almost a mental thing at this point. They're not even having fun out there because there is so much pressure from the outside just to win one football game, that particular one. What are your thoughts on it? you think that's kind of what they're dealing with right dead now? Dead on. You're dead on. And it's not only the – I mean – Look, it's the end of the Carr era. It's Rich Rodriguez going 0-3, Brady Hope going 1-3, um, Harbaugh now 0-6 uh, versus uh, Ohio State 0-6, 0-5, I guess. 0-5, yeah. They skipped last year. Yep. So, yes, um, you're now just not fighting Ohio State. You're fighting two decades of history. And you could see it with Bo, for example, in the decade of the 70s, that he's 0-5 in Rose Bowls. He's lost the, what, Orange Bowl, the... Uh, Gator Bowl also, so you're 0-7 overall. You're fighting all those things before John Wangler and Anthony Carter and company finally beat uh, Washington for his first bowl victory. So it's happening here. It's, it's not entirely Jim's fault, of course, Harbaugh's fault, because right. that train got rolling long before he showed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've long believed, though, based on that, if, if they won in 2016, if the call was different on the spot, which I call a toss-up, I can't tell either way. Right. Um, and, and it's such an inexact science where you spot a ball anyway in a scrum. Who the hell can tell? Uh, but it could, have, it could have gotten called the other way almost as easily, I would say. If you win that game, you're one and one And there's no freaking out. And you've already beaten Ohio State. There you go. Once Bo finally beat, won a bowl game, he was 500. People forget this. He was 500 the rest of the decade in the 80s after starting out 0-7. So 0-7, 5-5, and there you go. He had to win one. Yep. Michigan has got to win one. And where your quote comes from is Huron versus Pioneer. It had been, I think, five years since we had beaten him. We played him twice a year. That gets old. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the previous year, my second year at Huron, we outshot him like, and it's in the book, 35 to 15, we lose 4 to 3. We're ahead 3 nothing the second time, and we tie 4 4. I mean, those are games we outplayed him. We're the better team. We should have won. We just, no breaks, and we freaked out. Um, and it adds up. So once we finally beat them, we started winning games against them we probably shouldn't have won because we're calmed down now. We, get, we could get out shot and still win. Um, mm-hmm. That could never have happened before. So Michigan, they need to win one. That's all it is. They need to win one. Once they win one, then the voodoo's gone, and, and you're back to playing football instead of fighting, the, fighting two decades of history. And, and, and if you don't believe me, ask John Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great, great example. <laughs> Um, the, speaking to college coaches and especially Harbaugh, like how much of an impact does a college coach really have on winning and losing? As far as I'm concerned, I, it, they, they're always fighting an uphill battle because they're always dealing with recruiting. That's like 70% of their job. Um, like, what am I missing? How come they get all the, all the, you know, downhill, you know, stuff coming back at them? And especially this year, I've noticed Harbaugh's gotten like none of the credit. And that was going to be like kind of the crux of this season was, you know, as soon as he starts losing, he's on a losing skid. 
we're going to be calling for his head, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, how much of an impact could a college coach really have? You, you've got to be completely insane to want to take a job at a at an Ivy League or a Big Ten school, you know? Am I crazy or what's – like, what am I no, missing you're not crazy. here? They are. Okay. Uh, I've been inside the Penn State – locker room with Bill O'Brien in 2012 after the Sandusky and Joe Paterno preseason, you know, the the year before, of course, crazy stuff. Yeah. I was a pretty good access to Ohio State with Evan Meyer, Uh, obviously very good access with Rich Rodriguez. And then later on with Jim Harbaugh for uh, three and out and then overtime. Um, Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald, not complete access by any means, but enough to know what was going on. Uh, Man, I can make a very good case that all these coaches are overpaid compared to what a university is supposed to be. You should not make more than your president, for example, let alone four times more or five times more. And yet, I'll tell you flat out, if you'd offer me any of those jobs for that money, I would say no in a heart. I would go, I would run out of the room. If you saw these poor <laughs> SOBs go through, uh, oh, I would not trade it for anything. And I think college is far harder than the NFL because NFL is hard too. The margins are nothing in the NFL. But there's no recruiting, as you pointed out, which is uh, it's a se- almost a separate job. Yeah. And you get all the highs and lows. A 17-year-old blows you off uh, or comes to yeah. your school. That's crazy. Um, and that's nuts. Uh, and then, of course, this whole, you know, you lose an NFL game. If you go 10 and, you know, 10 and 6, 10 and 7 now, if you go 10 and 6, you're, a, you're probably a division champ and a playoff team. All right? If you go – the equivalent at Michigan, which is what, you know, like nine and go eight and four, uh, they want you fired. It's, this is brutal. Um, you, you can't lose. And I've been on planes from Iowa, for example, team planes from Iowa back to Ann Arbor night game. You get home at three o'clock in the morning. That plane is a flying morgue. Uh, mm. and I trade, I trade for morgue. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's just a brutal existence and I'm not sure with any of them. It's, and, and how much control do you have? How much control does any coach have? One of my lines in that book is that you can say as a leader all you want, but you're in control. Yeah, you go ahead and think that if you want. <laughs> but guess what? <laughs> on game days, my joke was on game days, we coaches wear shoes, you guys wear skates. It's up to you guys. Yeah. And, if you, and if you win, you'll get all the credit, not me. I'll make sure of that. Uh, and those guys wear cleats, and Harbaugh wears you know, running shoes or whatever. Cleats too, in this case, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the point is the same. It's like a conductor in an, or- in an orchestra. Put your hands up, and you hope like hell they play, <laughs> because yeah. your baton <laughs> makes no sound. So you're at their mercy. Yeah. And you know, honestly, and you're a teacher. Good teachers know that. Good teachers trust their students and rely on them. Whenever I hear a teacher talking about what a crappy class they have, I think, nope. <laughs> so I can put a great teacher in that class, and within a month, they're going the right direction. Yeah. Um, I've seen it. I've seen great teachers do that. Um, yeah. It's not easy, uh, and every class is different. Uh, but leadership, leadership still counts. Yeah. Well, now that's you bring up a good point. Um, in your in your book, in the I believe it's the preface, you say that after a lot of your your speeches and stuff like that, your speaking engagements, people will come up to you and they'll say, uh, you know, we got them. My employees, they just they don't take ownership of things, and they complain about the employees and stuff. And obviously employees, obviously nowadays, they complain about employers a lot and stuff. And there's this big disconnect. And it's almost like a generational thing. They always say the younger generation, this younger generation comes up, they don't take any ownership. They want constant praise. They want this and that. 
what do you think happened here with, I guess, society as a whole? I mean, I'm just kind of picking your brain here, kind of spitballing. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I see what they're talking about. And in some ways, we are softer than we were 20 years ago. And we're softer, you know, in 2000 than we were in, you know, 1980 when I'm in high school. Right. Um, so, look, there's a great quote complaining about kids today. They don't get up, they don't stand up in the room when an elder enters. They want, they're more interested in entertainment than hard work. And the guy who said that was Socrates. This problem's been around for at least 2,000 years. So you can always say the current generation stinks and it's not going anywhere. Um, but uh, having said that, um, you know, the guys in my team, every one of them, they're in the worst team in America at that point. They're 0, 22, and 3, and yet none of them quit. We didn't cut anybody from those teams, and those are the guys who turned the team around. So, And in my class at Michigan when I teach at or Northwestern or Miami of Ohio, um, we've had five late papers out of, I think, 4,000 chances, 2,000 students with two papers each, and five late papers, like within five minutes. Um, it just doesn't happen. So when I hear about today's generation, man, pay, power, prestige, all worked on me, my generation, doesn't work anymore. You need to give them a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, um, and you need to let them lead. If you do those things, they will absolutely exceed all your expectations, but you have to have the courage to lay it out there. Absolutely. Um, John, I got two more questions for you, then we'll let you go. I know we've kept you way longer than, than we should have. So I'm enjoying you know. the conversation, and you guys have done your homework. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. So by the way, oh, yeah, and, you, and you're good at this. Uh, Wataki, by the way, sounds like a nickname. Of course, you realize that, but then so does Bacon. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep, absolutely. So going back to the coaching thing real quick, as far as uh, college coaching, I am, and I've been like pondering this for years and uh, just toyed with asking you about this this week. I am fascinated by the idea of taking down, taking Joe Pa's statue down um, at Penn State um, as if he were like Saddam Hussein or something. Uh, now, I'm not a Penn State fan, uh, but does that solve anything? I mean, is that really necessary? And they kind of like, even in the media, kind of absolved him a little bit like yeah he probably didn't know too much about what was going on there with that whole scandal mm-hmm. um I, I don't know what are your thoughts on that entirely mixed and tortured how's that um fair enough and i you know first of all i'm not sure if we should be putting statues up of football coaches because right there you it's a different message to me than naming a building naming a building means you're honoring the contributions that the person made towards that building um, it's not quite the same thing as literally putting them on a pedestal. Um, you're, you're claiming more, I think, with the statue. That could be my interpretation and not shared by others. Um, that's my take. But then, of course, then the flip side is, so in the first place, I'd rather they didn't have statues of Bo or Paterno or other guys as well. Um, and Bo would not have wanted one, by the way. I'm very sure of that. Um, I'm as sure as I can be of that without putting words in his mouth. You know, we never discussed it, obviously. So, um, But... Uh, in Paterno's case, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the Sandusky stuff is horrible. Uh, goes without saying. Um, apparently he had, you know, as he said himself near his death, he wished he had done more. And that's a very honest, I think, and human reaction, and we all wish he had done more. Um, Sandusky was no longer a Penn State employee. Um, at least we're not Penn State students. It doesn't make it less tragic. It's more in many, many cases. How culpable was Joe Paterno? It's a shade of gray compared to what people want, which is he's totally innocent or he's totally guilty. 
I don't buy either one. Um, I think it's more nuanced than that, more more difficult to tease out. Also, as far as his relationship with Penn, with Penn State, as I make clear in Fourth and Long, the book mainly about Penn State, nobody raised more money for Penn State, not the athletics, but the university and the libraries and everything else, than Joe Paterno did. Joe Paterno had more to do with Penn State becoming a world-class university, a member of the AAU, the Association of American Universities, only 62 in North America, and they were nowhere near it when he signed on in the 60s, um, nowhere close, um, that no one did more for that university than he did. So you pull the statue away, and yeah, did he screw up? Yes, he did. Was it tragic? Undeniably. Did he still do more for Penn State than anybody else? Yeah, probably. Um, I'm sorry, that's a complicated history. And keeping the statue up or down does not answer that question. Yeah. Uh, our reaction needs to be more nuanced, more sophisticated, I think. And that's why I'm not a fan of statues in the first place, because automatically you're making it black and white. Yeah, um, absolutely. But anyway, so there's, there's your very long answer for your very short question. That's, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but it's a tough one. And if you see my what I wrote about Fielding Yost on, my, on the Bacon blog on JohnUBacon.com, Google that and Yost, it'll come up. And likewise, the Schimbeckler, Dr. Anderson questions. Oh yeah, They're no tough you, questions, and they don't have easy answers. Yeah, you you said uh, Yost used to get um, like picked up by the police in Ann Arbor all the time and stuff. So you know, I well, mean, he I, got picked up by the police late in his life when he had Alzheimer's. He had yeah, some yeah. dementia. Yeah, it was just sad. Uh, I mean, wandering around, he didn't know where he was going. It reminds us uh, we're we're all humans. You know, we get to sometimes we we get to a point beyond you know our own control and stuff, but. Um, uh, my last question is, that do you – now, when you got the Huron River Rats, this was a little just almost pre-social media. I'm sure you've gotten this question before. Do you think you would have been able to handle these kids with the same amount of ease or motivate them? Because, I, I mean, social media is just – it's detrimental. It's kind of – it's almost the bane of – you know, millennials and, and it's, and, uh, I mean, you kind of won me over (laughs) with the argument of millennials. You've, you've made me a fan of them now, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that makes them worse or people. I don't know. Um, I will say this. I'm glad I went to high school and college without social media and I'm glad I coached and largely taught without it. Um, you know, of course, teaching in Michigan comes up on Twitter and Facebook and so on. And, Luckily, 99% positive, but you still get some stuff. Um, I think everything is harder right now, social media, except for self-promotion. <laughs> right. yeah. Distribution yeah. is free. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, Everyone is now working in a fishbowl. I think it's harder to be truly authentic. It's harder to – I think it's harder to be tough um, because someone's going to interpret that the wrong way. Uh, it's It's – I, I don't envy that aspect of teaching leadership, coaching, and so on for anybody today. Um, and I mean, what, today Harbaugh had a comment about referee. He was asked a question about refereeing, a very matter-of-fact one, and has Bitkin gotten back to you about refereeing? He said yeah. they had. And he answered the question truthfully, and then you get blasted on social media. Oh, yeah. Um, as yeah. a whiner and blah, 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 blah. The question came to him. Yeah. yeah. And – and, and his answer was, answer was factual, and Bitkin apologized for a call. It doesn't mean Michigan State did not deserve to win the game. And that's one thing I really hate about social media. It's not possible on social media 
hold two thoughts in your head at once. It can be true, <laughs> right? That the call was controversial, and it was. Fox knew, you know, Joel, Joel Klatt and those guys said, no, they got it wrong. The Big Ten said they got it wrong. And, and yet, at the same time, Michigan State deserved to win the game. They made the big plays when they had to. Mm-hmm. And those calls are going to happen. Look, that call was clearly, I mean, extremely tough to say, to see, you know, and either way, and likewise the call in 2016 at Ohio State. It's going to be that close. You're taking your chances, and you got to win by more than that. It's yeah. a hilarious truth. So, Absolutely. So it's hard. To, Jim can't win, and, it, and, <laughs> and he doesn't as far as social media goes. <laughs> right. Um, I'll say that, you know, he probably hasn't done a whole hell of a lot to endear himself to the media, um, although he's been very fair with me. Uh, very direct and very, and I've needed you know help. He's given it to me, and we don't always agree. Uh, in fairness, um, and likewise, the refs. The only coach I could think of that that refs disliked more than Bo was Jim, and they don't like him. Um, I know this. <laughs> well, I've I've heard I don't know that. How much but... that impacts the actual referee? <laughs> I really can't say. There's no way to prove it. Yeah. Um, but uh, Bo did not get too many breaks, I don't think, because um, he held out a lot of refs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, you, like that. You, Coach, you've uh, you've been more than generous with your time, uh, Mr. Bacon. We really appreciate it. Um, Please call me John. Nobody, but nobody calls me Mr. Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, I appreciate that. We could talk to you all night, and uh, would Tucky here stop me from asking you any questions about the spark? I wanted to ask you questions about <laughs> Cirque du Soleil. I had so many more questions, but he told me I, that, it, that I wasn't allowed. Was nobody, although I get, I get royalties in that book. That book did pretty well, actually. <laughs> I put a bestseller. But, yes, I spent, yeah. uh, uh, what, 2000 and right after I finished coaching, 05. I spent about six months with Cirque du Soleil. That was a blast. Yeah. In Montreal, Las Vegas, and, and, uh, and Paris. If you get an assignment like that, take it. My <laughs> uh, that that was a pure pleasure, and the book has done pretty well, actually. It sounds like fun. I that's probably going to be my next Johnny Bacon book that I that I you know speed you'll, read. You'll through, read that sure. over coffee. It'll, it'll be take it three hours. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, thank you, Coach Bacon. Uh, the books we got all kinds of books. I've got my hands full, and only these three right now because that's all I could fit in my hands, but. Yeah, over time. You've got 13 books. Um, Wataki's favorite, Three and Out. He got me to read this book. This is how he got me started on you. And um, I'll turn him this way. And, of course, your latest book, Let Them Lead, which is going to be a movie. This this book is awesome. So thanks again, Coach. You have a good rest of your evening up north, okay? Appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Take care. That was the rest of our interview with John U. Bacon, uh, author of 13 books, uh, former writer for the Detroit News, and uh, coach of the former coach of the Huron River Rats. His new book, Let Them Lead, is out now. It's brand new, and I recommend anybody um, who's in leadership or, or in education or just anybody that loves sports or hockey, Get this book, or just John U. Bacon's writing. John's yeah, a wonderful author. Writing, yeah. You know, fantastic writer, and uh, this is another classic. This one is is probably most likely to get and turned into a movie, don't you think? We'll talk I would think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, uh, it plays all those roles. Absolutely. So that was our show this week. 
Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We will we will catch you next week. That's how the sports ball goes. You've been listening to the Small Market Podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, send us a message at smallmarketpodcast at gmail.com, or get more behind-the-scenes writings from Hoffman at smallmarketpodcast-blogspot.com. Music for the Small Market Podcast has been provided by the 8-Arm Killer.